Season 12, Episode 107, Studying Film in 2020. In this episode, Neil and Dario are joined by Freya Billington from UWE and Dr Catherine Wheatley from King's College to talk about the challenges and opportunities of studying film in this very strange year that is 2020. Also in this show, Neil and Dario talk about two classic film releases from Masters of Cinema and the BFI, the film noir classic This Gun for Hire and Vittorio De Sica's Peter Sellers' caper after the fox. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. My name's Dario Linares, and down the line, of course, is my good friend, Neil Fox. Neil, how are you, sir? I'm very well. It's a pleasure to talk to you again, uh, so soon, after the last uh, episode. Yes, we are dealing again with the time travel that is uh, podcast recording, so, uh, yeah. At least we're recording them in order of, uh, of where they go <laughs> Yeah, that does it's help. It's not too discombobulating. Yeah. Hopefully the world's still around, at, uh, you know, at this point. It seems every day, you know, I, I keep thinking to myself, it c- c- can it get any worse? Can can things just get, get, you know, go more crazy or more unbelievable? But it just seems that they can. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, no, no surprise on that count that, oh, yes, it, it can get yes. invariably worse. But you are here to listen to, you are here to escape a little bit of that and uh, listen to us wax lyrical about films. And we've got... Uh, a great episode lined up, particularly if you are in the area of uh, film education or you're a film student, because uh, what is happening in 2020 and what is happening going forward in the, the film industry and film conversation generally is is the subject of day, today's podcast, Neil. Yes, uh, really, really nice idea. I think you had to kind of kick off the new academic year with a conversation about the teaching and studying of film. We know that uh, a significant part of our audience is, you know, is kind of either studying or teaching film. And while we hope that's it's not exclusive, we know that you know that that, that is a kind of that is a portion that that we really want to to kind of acknowledge at, at this time. Um, but I think what was really great about talking to Freya and and Catherine, um, sorry, sorry, yes, uh, Freya Billington from UWE and Dr. Catherine Wheatley from uh, King's College London was a lot of the concerns and issues are are kind of things that we're facing people are facing in a lot of walks of life and um are some of the questions that we kind of alluded to last last episode about you know how we kind of coming out of this period and and kind of facing what's next yeah and i think we're all in a in a state of kind of transition or (laughs) uncertainty in, in so many different ways and and you know what what we actually are going to teach is is a question that I think is is unfortunately secondary at the moment because we're just so busy trying to organize and get things in place to be able to deliver what we're meant to deliver in terms of a university education. But I think as we go along and, and hopefully we'll have another conversation like this down the line, we've certainly sort of talked about that, is maybe to sort of discuss more of what film studies as a subject is and and when I say film studies I mean that in the broadest sense so however 
film is taught in terms of the relationship between practice and theory and and how things like you know media studies and tv studies and and that kind of thing intersect with each other i think that that those conversations are you know need to be had but are, are not even you know perhaps being thought about as yet in terms of what the effect of covid will be on 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 the discipline because let's face it the the industry itself is in a position where what it's going to look like in a year's time nobody has the answer to that yeah absolutely i think that's right yeah it's kind of you know i know certainly i've really kind of scaled scaled down my content to the minimum um at this stage just to because yeah kind of all of the anxiety is about just being online and engaging online and having having the form actually work um in order to be able to get the content in there as well so looking forward to the looking forward to the responses to this episode from people in terms of you know their own experiences of it uh from the kind of the teaching and the the studying ends and also yeah to to hopefully carving out space in the near future to to extend the discussion into okay now this is the how what's the what yeah absolutely but before that we've got a or you have got a couple of reviews to take us through one of your dvds and what have you have been sent for your perusal so what have you got for us neil yeah two kind of classic movie. well one classic movie um this gun for hire which is classic noir with or it's classes a noir with uh, veronica lake and alan ladd but definitely feels much more like a kind of classic crime movie um kind of early alan ladd performance and he sort of plays a hitman who's kind of set up and he kind of teams up with veronica lake to find out you know who who framed him and why and it follows very much a kind of classic noir kind of wronged um wronged kind of protagonist but 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 doesn't feel as kind of existential and certainly the relationship between lad and lake is it's very different what i love about this movie was you know one of the first things you see alan lad's character do is kind of off his target and also a kind of woman who is uh is there and shouldn't be there so kind of just sort of kills them both um, so kind of unsympathetic character, but over the course of the film strives to to kind of do something of, of note when he realises that the person that who's kind of responsible for his predicament is involved in things that are kind of large scale kind of global conspiracy issues. Um, and it's just interesting to see how an actor like Ladd can can make an unsympathetic character sympathetic and then to watch Veronica Lake's character realize actually that there's this kind of sliver of humanity in this person that that's worth kind of pursuing and just a really great kind of tight 80 minute uh crime movie with with great performances uh and that's out with um masters of cinema uh eureka who are doing a lot of really great kind of pulpy noir stuff at the moment the other one is the bfi releasing uh a caper called after the fox uh with peter sellers now wow yeah i I get these emails and I saw the cover and I just saw Peter Sellers and I said, yep, yeah, I'll watch that. Um, I knew nothing about this movie um, from the 60s. Uh, and literally that was it. That was just that I thought I'll watch this. And it was one of those things, just the, 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 the pleasure of putting on a film and watching the opening credits, which are a really wonderful kind of Pink Panther. They're a ripoff, but I'll say homage. Um, <laughs> uh, kind of beautiful animations uh, with the kind of title song playing over the top. And just sort of sitting there going, oh, Martin Balsam's in it, you know, from 
from Psycho. And then, oh, the, the music's by Burt Bacharach. Oh, the title song is sung by the Hollies. Oh, it's written by Neil Simon. And then, oh, it's directed by Vittorio De Sica. Sica, um, yeah, I was going to yeah. say. And it's got Britt Eklund and Victor Mature in it. Exactly, well. yeah. I kind of, I, and it was just like this, you know, all of this stuff that I kind of knew all of these people in different guises, but I had no idea they were involved in this film. And that really set me up to just being like, this is going to be fun. Um, and it is fun, kind of. Um, the fox, uh, Peter Sellers plays the fox, this kind of master criminal who pretends to be a uh, film director. And he learns how to be a film director from visiting Chinitita and listening to De Sica um, uh, direct in a really lovely sort of cameo scene, um, trying to smuggle gold that's been stolen in Cairo into Italy. Right. Um it's very 60s, um, but the it's it's great fun, you know, like it's obviously everyone's having a good time. Um, yeah, but it's a piss take of, of the film industry as well, and particularly kind of pompous movie directors and and film critics. As it really not. is. Yeah. And that's where it's at its <laughs> most kind of enjoyable um, and also on people's kind of love of, you know, kind of blind love of 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 film and cinema you know um right, and the right. status of stars particularly um uh, victor mature plays this kind of very seen better days kind of actor um but yeah it's 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 got some really smart things about it i thought um it's very 60s in its kind of creepiness um at one point like so there's a kind of weird sisters theme going on and brit eklund plays peter seller's sister in it but at the time they were kind of together romantically linked yeah. um and uh he, he weirdly sort of says to a character very early on, you know, she's 16, you dirty old man. Um, and it's like, it, there's there's a kind of weirdness which is just hasn't yeah. aged well, as we no. we sort of talked about before. Um, but um, that aside, it is, it's just great fun. Um, and I, it just felt like a, a relic, you know, like I did yeah. not know this film um, and I'm so pleased that I've seen it. So both of those are out in very lovely Blu-rays uh, this week. Um, and yeah, just kind of just good classic movies um, to, to spend time with. Great. It just kind of reminds me of what we were talking about in the last episode a little bit about, you know, finding the, the spaces to go to. You know, the escapism sort of uh, narrative is, is something that I think people are, are looking for. And I think it's not just that, it's sort of different types of escape, isn't, isn't there? It's like, you know, you can go and sit in the in the big blockbuster movies and and that's fine but it's almost as if that's part of the thing you need to escape away from at the, at the moment yeah. to a certain degree so yeah, yeah. That, that that's really really interesting um yeah very much escapes to the past like we were talking about before yeah, yeah absolutely great um so let's move on to the main portion of our podcast which is our discussion with Freya Billington and Dr Catherine Wheatley um we all you know, we go through a lot of uh, topics, I think, in this hour um, around film studies, what's going on in 2020 and higher education more broadly. Yeah, thank you to both of them for uh, their time and hope you enjoy this conversation. So welcome to our edition of the Cinematologist podcast, Studying Film in 2020. We've got a great lineup of guests uh, for this for this one. And of course, the first one is Neil Fox. Welcome, Neil. How are you doing? I'm very well. Pleased to be no- yeah, noted as a, as a good guest um, <laughs> on my own podcast. Uh, oh, I've no, not offended it's... you straight away, have I? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to walk out. No, uh, it's lovely to be here. And uh, yeah, really excited to 
to talk about this uh, with our guest today. Yeah, absolutely. And do, do you want to introduce our, our first guest as co-host? Thank you very much. Sir. <laughs> um, so first we have uh, Freya Billington, who is a filmmaker and senior lecturer from uh, UWE. And uh, some people might have heard the conversation that Freya and I had earlier in the summer for digital culture and education, which was a kind of almost a primer for this, really, just kind of starting to think through what the teaching of film was going to be uh, kind of moving forward in the immediate and kind of medium term. So uh, it's really good to be talking to to you again, Freya. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. And also our fourth guest is uh, a voice that you may have heard before on the podcast on the film philosophy episodes. And also she was a a contributor to the cinematic voice with a a great piece there for us. And it's uh, Dr. Catherine Wheatley from King's College London. Catherine, thanks so much for coming back on. Thanks for having me again. You made me sound very important then. (laughs) <laughs> well, you are very important. Um, so we've got a kind of rundown of, of sort of topics that we wanted to talk about, but it, ostensibly, you know, it's the beginning of term and it's the beginning of a term probably like none of us have ever experienced before. And I think that that, that compounded with, you know, the transformations that are going on in, in cinema, in the cinema industry, but also perhaps in, in film studies and film practice teaching I think what me and Neil had in mind for this was you know we wanted to discuss all of these things in the round with with people who are coming up to the same situation at the beginning of term as 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 we are so maybe Catherine maybe I could start with you in terms of what are your sort of overall feelings coming up to the new term are you teaching anything new this year have you got any kind of strategies or or hopes for the coming semester and year um yeah my main strategy is kind of chuck everything at it and see what sticks i think (laughs) um it's obviously completely new to us as it is to all of the students and i've with all my colleagues and i've spent the whole summer kind of doing research and trying to work out what the best way of tackling online teaching is um but i've come to the conclusion i think that probably what i'm going to do is keep the channels of communication open as best as possible with the students um, so that on a week by week basis, I'm going to schedule in time that they can tell me what's going well um, and not what's not working so well. And I can try and take that into account and adapt the course as we go. So I, I, I don't want to go into the term with a very rigid view on how this is all going to work, because I think that's probably setting us all up um, to not make the most of what might be an opportunity. I know it's not what any of us wanted, um, but I am teaching, for example, I teach a module on spectatorship this semester. Um, and I was really disappointed because we normally have a kind of, we try and talk a lot about the collective viewing experience and we have a kind of an in-person watch party as part of the module and sort of talk about the difference between um, film viewing when you're getting up or texting, your, texting on your phone or you've got the lights on and how it is in the cinematic experience. And then I thought, well, maybe we can shift that online and have an online watch party um, and see how that goes. And, you know, so much of what we're doing now in film studies and spectatorship is thinking about where the limits of the medium are. So actually watching films on the mobile phones and watching films on our laptop screens is something that we can be reflecting on as we go along, I think. I think the experience of 
of all that's going on is something that media studies and film studies is actually right at the forefront of. And so it's a good idea to sort of build it into what it is that we're teaching and thinking about. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, particularly from a film studies background, I remember when I first started university myself and the, the idea that you watch stuff at home was still seen as lesser than and yeah you know that's been changing over time hasn't it but this year particularly we're going to have to reframe what that actually actually means conceptually uh Frey, have you got anything to to add to that in terms of uh, overall what you're feeling about the coming term yeah i mean I, I i basically come to the same conclusion as catherine i primarily teach production um, less theory, although obviously the two are very integrated. Um, and I have basically realised that the best approach is the same kind of flexibility you have when you approach a film shoot, which is basically always to know nothing is going to go the way you intend it to, and it's all about being responsive. And I think, in a way, the challenge now is what, what happened previously to all of us is that we were thrown into a completely responsive situation, and we all we all kind of uh, jumped on what the possible um, uh, technology was and we um, worked out what was working for students at the time. But we were also working with students who had already been um, working with us in person. So it was quite a different experience. I think that's what's going to be really hard. And so I'm keeping it, again, really open. I'm trying to learn all the various different forms. We've been given fixed forms to essentially use by the university, which is fine. But I think it's about the same. I, my big word is communication, is staying really open to what's working, um, is making sure we are in communication with students, um, and, and also in communication like this with one another about where things are working really well, um, any ideas that people have. I think one of the great things that's come out of all of this is how wonderful we all are as a, as a, a source of information for one another and how you know, all that kind of, I guess, sort of rivalry that I don't think any of us have personally, but but was sort of there from, from courses has gone and we're all just trying to really help and support one another. Yeah, I've seen a lot of that. And it's one of the, the positive aspects, I think, of, you know, not, not just the positive, you know, silver lining aspects of what's going on right now, but even kind of uses of social media, I think, which often can be quite problematic has been, I've seen really you know, good examples and uh, of people sort of using that in progressive and collegiate kinds of what kinds of ways, which, as you sort of intimated, there is not always the case. Neil, do you want to come in there? Yeah, just uh, I think that there's there's often a a kind of a, a belief I think you sort of mentioned there about this kind of rivalry or competition that feels more kind of structural than it is on the ground. And you know, you go to a good conference and you realise that you know. The, academia at its best is a community and so much of what's happened in the past few months has seen that community shift online through necessity but also you know through you know really kind of bringing out some really interesting kind of networks and partnerships and and kind of you know content and idea sharing which is which is really encouraging and you know that's that is something that I'm really thinking about is is kind of what what the positives are you know and what what can be done and trying to see as many of the difficulties that will arise as as kind of opportunities both to be overcome practically but also to kind of to discuss as Catherine said what what's actually going on you know in the in the wider context I think what's always interesting is you know this kind of film studies position of and film production you know teaching position of the the cinematic experience which is always hard to recreate in a university setting anyway most universities and most film students never have that shared experience in terms of a cinema you know 
they might be in a lecture room with terrible seating and no blackout, you know, running on a, an old data projector. So, you know, the idealised is, is very hard to realise. And this is just another example of how you're trying to make the best of what what you've got, um, uh, which is much more online um, than, than even previously, where even in a bad room, the communal experience is something that is is still you know kind of closer to the, the cinematic than the normal yeah. how are you guys dealing with that because i i haven't seen anywhere that the you know that the possibility of doing a shared online screening has been solved for the academic context i mean you know we were talking about doing a netflix watch party but you're assuming that all the students have got netflix and the same i mean now there's a facility mm. on amazon prime for that which has got to me has got a better selection but again you know the university is not going to pay for an amazon prime account and there's also um, GPNR. Um, is that the right acronym? Is it GDPR? Sorry, GDPR. G- G- I just GDPR. said that's wrong. GDPR. Uh, GDPR um, and you know, we've been told that we can't use Netflix Watch Party on in an educational sense. You know what I mean? So if we were doing an you know evening screening with everybody watching as a kind of social event, that's fine. I just wondered if have, have any of you guys sort of reached a, a possibility around that. I mean, it's it's a huge conversation, isn't it? And I think that's taken up a lot of our time over the last few months. Um, in fact, we've been really lucky at King's because one of the our colleagues in the law department has basically decided to make this into a research project and come over and has been working out kind of all the sort of different legal possibilities for how we might be able to do this. And I guess if people are listening and don't know, um, under UK law, it's all you, you're permitted to show a DVD to a room full of students because that's considered to be an educational setting. Um, but the minute you're doing that online, it's no longer an educational setting. And then there's all these questions about, well, if you finesse it with password protected sites, how, what do you do? So I think there's there's two things. One is um, this idea, of, you know, both of them is what Freya touched on. One is communication. And I, you know, when I said I was gonna do a watch party with my students, that might not mean that we do it through Netflix. It might mean that we all have to sit down at a certain time and choose sure. to watch the film in our football. And actually, I was inspired in that partly by some of the stuff that Secret Cinema have been doing over lockdown. Right. I don't know if any of you participated, um, where they, they put the framework in place, but they said, you know, here are the different places where you can find this film. Go off, start it at this time and go. And so, you know, that's obviously not an ideal solution. Um, But I think the other thing is just to go back to what Neil was saying and this idea of responsiveness that I think we have been holding on to a kind of quite fetishistic idea of what it is to watch films and what the viewing experience should be. And in fact, if we're responsive to how film is now being shown and how we, you know, how we watch films and how our students consume films in different ways, possibly sort of hanging on to that idea isn't very helpful and it's not it's not keeping up the speed with what film itself is and your film is a very sort of living breathing organism so um it, it you know it might be that we don't we have to abandon that kind of idea of us all sitting down at the same time and doing it because we're yeah. all in different time zones i think and the students don't have else. that mindset to begin with anyway so trying to impose that 20th century so you know, way of understanding the, 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 the watch, the spectatorship experiences is, is perhaps a hiding to nothing really. 
Well, I think if you think about something like, um, I'm thinking of Ending Things, which came out on Netflix mm. on Friday. And there are a certain body of people that will have watched that on Friday and all of the Twitter conversation happened over this weekend that's just gone. And that that feels like the kind of release window. And then it will have a longer tail. And that seems to me to be much more how films get watched now. And, and it, it may be that the kind of the teaching experience does something similar. So we say, you know, you've got this week to watch it and some of them will watch it first thing on the Monday and some of them will watch it throughout the week. I mean... If, if the teaching had been going ahead this term, both of my film screenings for my lectures and modules this term were at nine o'clock. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. only half of my students would have turned yeah, up for yeah. the video. <laughs> that's, a, yeah, that's, another, that's another question about that. But Can I just come in there on that? Because I think that that's exactly how I'm kind of approaching the the screenings that I'm doing for, for my kind of practice module is um, all of our content is being sort of timed release the week before. Um, and there'll be a link and then every week there'll be the same time which I'm calling Kino Club which is literally the discussion so those students who've seen the film and want to talk about it um, will come at that time and they'll have had the week to see the film um, and I'm, everything I'm screening is either through the, the library player that we've got digitised or available through Vimeo and YouTube um, but through the the rights holders pages so like National Film Board of Canada or the filmmakers themselves um, to try and address some of those things in terms of, you know, free, as in if they've got an internet connection, which hope, which they'll need anyway to, to study, um, they can sort of see a reasonable copy um, and then come by at a certain time. So that I think sitting down and even if you can, even if everyone was in the room, there's no guarantee that everyone's going to be able to watch it at that time because of connection or, or whatever. So mm. kind of trying to remove the pressure as well from students to feel like, you know, like they've got the time to see it um and then come by and, and talk about it is, is how i'm kind of approaching uh that from uh, from my module yeah I, I kind of doing something aiming to do something similar like that i think my problem is i'm a, such a romantic when it comes to the cinema <laughs> and i really miss it i mean i really miss it and i i kind of one of the great joys for me about teaching is getting them all in a dark room and watching something with their phones off and um watching it i guess in the way it was you know the films a lot of the films that we are showing are films that were intended to be watched like that and that doesn't mean i'm anti anything else or anti i'm very very aware it's all changing i have an 18 and 16 year old son and the way they watch films is completely different but i i think there is something very special about that and what i'm going to try and do because like the same i can't there's so many different things we've looked at to try and make this work and it, I think Neil's model is the only way to do it, is there's a, a film and then there's an agreed mm. time on when the discussion happens. But what I'm going to try and do, because I have a big production module for the first years, their, big, their initial production module, in which I do a lot of screenings. And I think, and again, partly also to try and get them to know one another, um, is that I am going to get them in break-off groups to, to agree how they are going to, but to watch things together and be commenting live on them. Um, because... I think that 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 immediate um, reaction and that sort of discussion, which isn't based on then looking up some information, I, I think that's that would be a really nice thing to try and hang on to in some form. Yeah, no, I, th I think definitely trying to sort of retain that sense that that the 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 auditorium experience does offer something unique is 
you know still a fundamental part of of film education and yeah but it's just <laughs> the uh the logistics of of doing that is getting uh obviously this with this semester getting more and more difficult uh, but just yeah. can i just give one example so yeah, i, yeah, I yeah, show them chantal ackerman and you know that there is no way including me let's be totally honest here would sit and not move and do anything else while i was watching one of her films and to actually force them to watch i played a whole chunk um, and they resi- we were resistant, they hated it, and then they got intrigued, and then some got angry, and some were totally smitten and wanted to watch the rest of the film. And that's a really wonderful shared experience. Yeah. That you don't get if you say, go and watch this. And you, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying any of this is bad. I'm just, yeah. I think it's trying to adapt and also hang on to, we've all got things that, well, why we do this and why we love this, and it's trying to mix those two things, adapting and hanging on to the bits that, you know are quite special from your experience. So Freya, can I ask, mm. are you still going to ask them to watch the Chantal Ackerman or are you trying to find different films that they may be more likely to sort of sit down and watch? I am going to, at the moment, trying to do clips from films like that, which I know they will be watching when I, be, when I teach live, Yeah. and then suggest they choose one of those films to then watch, but in a group of about six online or 10 online, we have 110 coming in in the first year, and ask them to then have a conversation about that. I think that's more realistic than saying, you will need to go off and watch it, which I don't think will happen. But but that's that's the aim, that's the aim. And I'm not, again, it's like I'm sure absolutely all of you, is I do really mix up the films that they watch. I don't, I don't think it's only classics only, but I think there are certain really important films that they should see. But I also think it's about mixing those together with really populist recent films to make the point that everything we're talking about applies to all of those films. Hmm. And Neil, just I mean, I know we've talked an awful lot about this and, you know, it's one of the questions that I want to pose to everyone in terms of opening it out a little bit from the, the specific situation of 2020. But that sense of what would be good advice for a film student coming in to uh, to studying film at university and what they should have in their mind in terms of not not expectations but what what would be good for them to think about in terms of what they should be doing in terms of watching maybe in terms of reading is there is there a sort of specific set of criteria you like to set out for students to say you know this is what you should be doing uh, I've stopped telling them what I think they should be doing. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, but trying to phrase it or kind of make it way. accessible. Yeah. yeah, because I think that, you know, um, yeah, trying to tell 16 to 18 year olds what to do is just, you know, kind of on a hiding to nothing there a lot of the time. But one of the things I think which I am I really want to do, I think, is is kind of, again, go back to these 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 kind of conversations about how they're already engaging with stuff, which is to which is why I'm kind of using things like Vimeo and, and, and YouTube rather than, you know, what might be kind of TV home streaming services like Netflix or something like that is, is also kind of, you know, trying to, to kind of expand their engagement with spaces that they might already occupy for different, different forms of content and different types of, you know, um, different types of uh, material, you know, sort of a lot of our, when we interview, you know, you can tell that a lot of them spend a lot of time on YouTube looking at you know kind of interviews with cinematographers <laughs> or kind of like you know deconstructions of mm. sequences from 1917 or whatever it is and sort of saying great you know that's a that's what youtube is, is good at but there's also loads of other stuff there and 
so that they encourage that the spaces they already inhabit are good spaces for other types of material rather than introducing them something new and saying there's this thing you've never heard of and it's got loads of stuff that is kind of daunting is trying to make them feel like actually what i'm already doing is is is, is kind of good practice um and then pushing the types of content that i'm asking them to watch in those spaces um because i think yeah that often just the experience of coming to university and then kind of sitting in a room with 100 people some of those students might not have done that for anything other than you know a blockbuster you know mm. they might have seen star wars in the cinema but they don't really go to the cinema in the way that we might kind of think of you know they go to watch ashanta lackerman in the cinema so putting them in the space and asking them to watch certain things i think is 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 sometimes can be kind of overwhelming mm. and one of the realities is trying to make the students feel comfortable in the online space that we're creating and keep them engaged and attending and kind of doing the work which is 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 a consideration and a concern which i don't think we can be mm. kind of blind to which is actually you know the the practicalities of kind of thinking about the student experience much more when we're building stuff is is key because i think there's going to be a much greater sense of students saying oh, this is not for me or i'm gonna i'm gonna you know withdraw or intermit because uh, it's just too much it's too different or you know it's kind of it's not what i thought it would be so that's kind of how I'm I'm thinking about it is actually saying to them that we know how you watch things more readily um, and we're going to start um, and kind of engage in those spaces um, yeah. as much as possible, you know. Yeah, and I think it's worth saying at this point that that obviously Neil and myself we t teach on a on a theory practice combination degree. Freya, is your what percentage of your course is 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 practice? Oh well, it's I don't know eighty five percent. Right. So well, I, yeah, eighty five percent probably. But that, of course, just to make it clear, of course, within those practice based is of course feed, theories feeding in all the time. But, sure. but yeah, they are practice on the on the whole very much practice based course. And have you got a, a sense of again that that kind of questions about about how to you know give, give students <laughs> advice about how to be film students without saying do this do that? Yeah, I mean, I think. I think this is, I mean, just hearing you all talk is, is obviously, again, like we were saying, you know, it makes you think about things. And I think that the point that Neil made then about uh, using uh, sites and sources that are very familiar is a really, really good one. Um, I, I, you know, one of my, I think, because I'm ex-industry and I do a lot to link the two things, um, one of the uh, best ways, I think, to try and make them realise, I, I, I'm a very big one for saying to them, you know, you, you're, the best advice I can give you is be positive. Come here knowing what it is that you want to learn and work out how you're going to learn it. Um, to decide it's all difficult and impossible, etc., is is that that's a decision. There's 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 so much we can do, which is a, a lot. But you deciding that um, actually this is not going to work all online, that's your decision, not ours. Because there's a huge amount that can be done and can be taught and can be created. It's going to be different. We know that. But the film industry is different, and that's a fantastic model to follow. Um, I set up during lockdown a, a weekly, or it was daily, God, I don't know what I was thinking, a daily three o'clock chat with film industry professionals called Tea at Three with Madame Fromage. And I'm bringing that back because the response from students was very positive in that they felt they were connecting with um, industry people who were addressing the same problems they were. It kind of linked what where they were at, because obviously like all of you, we had students who couldn't finish projects. 
Um, and that was like lots of people on sets who couldn't finish projects. And I'm sort of going to extend that a bit further. Um, and I've got, I've just been mentoring, I mentor for BBC New Creatives, and I've just mentored a film which shot last week uh, with a director and a producer who I've worked with a lot, who I used to teach and I've worked with both independently since. And so we're going to talk to them with student interaction about how they did shoot COVID safe, how they um, applied all of the, uh, the rules that they needed to apply, but still shot the film they intended to shoot. And rather than in our early production meetings, we didn't talk about compromise. We talked about how are we actually going to make this work? Let's, let's approach it realistically rather than go, oh, no, we can't. How are we going to do this? And so I think it's a lot about mindset. And I think that's where the communication comes in. And, and I think the hardest thing is going to be able to keep people feeling like they are moving forwards. They are positive. They are um, achieving what they want to get out of the course. Um, and so I'm hoping doing things like that is going to help with that. Catherine, did you want to come in on that from a perspective of your course? Which I think, am I right in saying it's it's more or less 100% critical theory? We're actually introducing for the first time this year, practice. Um, so wow. never one <laughs> to shy away from the challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so that will be interesting. Um, but again, I guess we're starting... Um, at a time that's full of opportunities. I mean, I, I think I completely agree with everything that Freya is saying. And it really, I think with all of this, for all of us, it's a case of you turn up, you make your best effort and we're going to get out of it what we put in. Thinking about the last few months, it's really struck me, as I'm sure it has all of you, the differences in experiences and contexts and situations that we've all been in. Um, if you've got small children, if you're in a flat share, some of our colleagues have had you know time to watch tons and tons of films and some of us have been squeezing and working sort of spots here and there and i suspect that's going to be the same for a lot of our students i mean we've talked about you know 16 17 18 19 but there'll be people that are carers there are people that are living in really busy families and actually trying to carve out the physical space and the mental space to do some of this work is is a challenge for everyone. Um, so I think, and I think actually that's one of the joys of things not being all at the same time is, you know, if, if nine o'clock in the morning is a really terrible time for you to try and watch a mm. film, maybe nine o'clock at night is better and, and people are able to do that. And that that's fine too, I think. So everyone has to sort of make it work for them in the circumstances that they're in. Um, so I, 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 one of the things that I've done is because we weren't sure about what what was going to be happening with screenings i've tried to make sure that all of my readings are very general they're not linked to any one particular film or movement for each of the theory courses that i'm teaching and i've written lists of films um that they can go off and watch and those people that have time to go in or you know the energy and enthusiasm to go off and watch five or six mm. or seven of those films in any one week can do um and hopefully the students that are under more difficult circumstances can just watch the one that I'm gonna sort of flag up as possibly the core. So I think flexibility on our part and kind of compassion actually and kindness to understanding that we're all kind of working in different circumstances, but doing the best that we can is really important. Yeah, I've done something similar in terms of the setting up of the readings and the, and the, and the viewing. So I've kind of gone for Five, like five films that are available across different yeah. streaming networks and say you know watch one or more of those films and say bring your bring your assessment you know your analysis yeah. to to the 
to the session and have try and have a bit more of an open open discussion in that in that well, sense. And I, so I think, think that... as well, like actually I think I'm gonna to say to them, if you have films that you think speak to these theoretical concerns that aren't on the list, then feel free to kind of use I think we'll be using kind of chat rooms and fora and stuff to suggest those to the group as well. Because the other thing that we haven't really talked about is of course everyone's gonna be very globally dispersed. And you know mm the things that are available on YouTube in the UK aren't necessarily available in China, for example. So uh, that's what I mean by flexibility. I think there's there's always going to be these kind of little hiccups of roadblocks that we need to work around. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's interesting there what you say, because obviously in the last you know few years, but particularly, you know, recently, the, the, the move towards... Um, agendas like decolonizing the curriculum and and encompassing a sort of globalized perspective and a, you know a sort of globalized political perspective a lot more inherently within the texts we speech whether it's written texts or visual texts and I, I, obviously that's that's on ongoing all the time and really important but I wonder if this situation sort of makes it even more uh, important to to embrace that or even op- offers an opportunity for that to become more more organically um, allowed to happen, if that's the right phrase. I think there's a definite opportunity, um, you know, to, to critique uh, the, the industry norms, the way that things are done, because I think people are critiquing that um, actively. And I think um, now is a time that I guess people are open to change and open to thinking about things in a different way. Um, it's, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It's, um, I think actually, I, when I look and I think, uh, you know, how do I, how do I apply um, decolonizing the curriculum? The fact is, I've been very aware of that, as have my colleagues for a long time. And we've tried very hard to make sure that we're always showing um, a range of work from a range of perspectives um, to make sure that we were doing, I, I guess there's another difficult thing is, is it seems very self-conscious any of those decisions now and i'm not sure how well students respond to that yeah does that make sense that's an interesting point catherine i know you wanted to talk a little bit about that i mean i think you're absolutely right freya they can they can smell inauthenticity you know a (laughs) hundred cases and as they should do um but it was sort of back to that split aren't we between the institution and the people that make it up and i think like your colleagues and you um, it's been something that's absolutely been on the forefront of our mind at King's, partly because the students started raising it quite a while ago. Um, you know, there should never be a module that runs that's only got white male filmmakers and white male authors of readings on it as well. So I think that kind of, it is happening more organically. Um, but I, without wishing to be too revolutionary about the whole thing as well, I just feel like there might be a moment for the levels of power to shift a little bit like certainly in terms of kind of gatekeepers of taste both in terms of the curriculum and the industry if if we're saying to students you know you can go off and watch whatever film that you think fits with this you know bring your experience bring your discoveries from youtube or vimeo into the classroom then it's it suddenly becomes a lot less hierarchical Um, and i think that's really exciting neil yeah, I think that, yeah, kind of putting ourselves, you know, particularly for, you know, myself, I know Dario and I have talked about this, you know, as as kind of the white men in the room, you know, but, um, but putting ourselves in the middle of it and inviting, 
the knowledge from them as students, as young people, you know, and it, just in terms of what they're actually engaging with, but also kind of wanting to to broaden our own perspectives and our own um, what we engage with, I think is is really really key, and we've done that. But I think that's something I'm excited about as being hopefully uh, kind of happening more in in the kind of sessions that I'm going to run. I think what what I found really exciting is that so much of the work that is you know, we talked about Chantal Ackerman earlier, but, you know, so much of the work that we want to show anyway, that we would show that might kind of previously have been seen as kind of, you know, ticking boxes or whatever, is now much closer in its kind of construction to the kinds of films they're going to be making mm. um, and that industries could be making for a while, you know, because so many of the filmmakers from sort of diff different ethnic backgrounds, you know, female filmmakers have had to make work that's limited you know be that documentary experimental or even kind of narrative work which is which is kind of really restricted in terms of budget and and expanse because of structural um structural uh situations and i think that's really exciting is that we can go into or i can go into it from a production point of view saying that you know these are great films which are kind of through a, a history of um kind of you know being of repression um actually are, are the kind of films that you're, you're going to be able to make um, going forward and have to think about. And hopefully it kind of opens their minds to aligning more readily kind of some of their particularly political interests as young people with the kind of films that they can be making in a way that it's always been difficult to bridge that because so many of the ideas about what a film is from particularly the students who come in at Falmouth are, well, it's it's a big studio set and it's, you know, it's hundreds of crew and it's a it's a big expansive narrative and it's like well actually that's a you know a very small proportion of what cinema is and can be globally and historically and you know bringing that stuff in and saying that this was made you know mm. <laughs> most of this was made by two people in a woman's mm -hmm. kitchen mm. um you, do you know what i mean i think is you know i think is really really exciting um and allows us people us who've been kind of fighting this battle for a, well a, a different perspective which hopefully will feel less like self-conscious in terms of you know um, sort of, you know, clinging to a moment, as it were. It's it's almost like the next step in the democratization of kit, isn't it? In that, <laughs> yeah. when I was when I was a girl, uh, you know, cameras were really really expensive, and we shot on sixteen mil, which cost a fortune, and nobody had a camera. We had to get, you know, and and of course now we've got people who've got cameras as really young kids. We've got really good kit when they join us, um, and so can make stuff. And we're watching features that are shot on Apple phones. So, you know, kits become more um, uh, democratic. So it makes sense in a way that, that this process, the whole process of making would as well. Yeah, no, that's good. That's, that, that's definitely the case. And I think it, what's going to be interesting, again, just for this year is to see how they kind of organically deal a lot with, with things like just problem solving. I mean, we none of us really know. I mean, it's one of the difficult things to talk about is, yeah, we've got all these great intentions, but but things seem to be shifting sort of day to day. And especially on the on the practice side, you know, we've organized and we're telling them that face to face is is going to happen, but maybe it doesn't. And then suddenly okay. as as teachers, we've got to be flexible in terms of setting them assessments and and also kind of thinking about what equipment they might have if they can't come into, you know, something as as ba you know as basic i mean phones aren't basic but using the phone as as their primary tool of of practice and how they can kind of still um 
affect all of the the skills and the knowledge that we're trying to impart in terms of the filmmaking process. I mean, it's, it's interesting because maybe we're at, really we're still only at the start, aren't we, of this of the impacts of of COVID, sort of socially and on on individual disciplines. But there may be a sense in which our our disciplines in the next two or three years, particularly from a a practice industry standpoint, are going to have to kind of look at what we are actually teaching. I think it's it's kind of like going back to a haze code moment, isn't it? You know, the, the more restrictive the um, criteria that are imposed upon you, the more creative you have to be within those restrictions. Um, like you were sort of back to Freya's idea of responsiveness, I think. But I also, I don't think it is just the industry. I, I think there might be an opportunity for film studies and media studies to kind of have their moment. Mm. So much of this... I've been thinking about conversations and communities and how they are, how we sort of move from forming an in-person conversation to an online conversation and an online community. Um, and that's been happening for a long time and it's happening more and more. And I think, you know, anyone that says that media studies is a Mickey Mouse degree, which people still do, usually from very outdated perspectives, you know, you what's happening at the moment everything is to do with media and increasingly we're becoming a you know that's our whole way of communicating with each other um and so uh, when we talk about decolonizing i think it's not even just about the content it's about maybe shifting away from privileging subjects like politics and law and thinking about how they are absolutely bound up with film and media and the ways in which we communicate anyway so uh, you know it feels like there could be a huge shift coming who knows? I think, I mean, politics, let's be honest, politics is media yeah. now, if yeah. you look at the people running the mm. bloody world. Um, so you're, I think you're absolutely right, and that's, that's just such an interesting thing to, to think about. And, and it, what's also interesting, and again, it's something we've talked you know, exhaustively about on, on the show, is the ways in which that politics infuses into every aspect of film watching film fandom and and filmmaking and it's interesting to sort of note whether students bring that with them when they come into the university so you know there are definitely you know there's definitely different cliques of students who are interested in different things and and whether they're more and more kind of aware of the sort of you know the politics of representation politics of identity questions that you know, is is riven throughout, particularly, you know, you see it in film criticism online now. There's always this sort of mm. balance between are we are we talking about the film as a film, you know, as an, an aesthetic artifact and how much the the kind of ideological aspects of the making and what it represents feeds into that. I mean, it always has done in film studies, but I think it's it, it certainly chimes within popular discourse a lot more. Mm. I've got a student at the moment, a PhD student called Lucy Cargill, and she's writing this amazing thesis on um which tracks the marvel comic universe and the and the films the all the marvel films against um the presidential and political changes in the states over the last 20 years um and and you know one of the challenges she's facing is kind of pulling out the difference between the politics of the studios and the individuals that are involved in the making of the films um, and the way in which these films are taken up by different social groups. And, you know, something like Black Panther is absolutely fascinating from that point of view and all of the ambiguities. Um, and 
you, 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 we could talk about it for hours, I think. It's so timely and so important. And I think, you know, with the demise of Chadwick Boseman recently, which was terribly sad, watching the news footage about how that has shaped young people's views of black culture and of themselves, I found it really moving, um, incredibly moving and incredibly important. I agree. Neil, you want to come in there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just sort of, yeah, um, I, yeah, I agree. Um, uh, but the one thing I think what's, what's so lovely about a conversation like this is that it's a reminder that, you know, which is also kind of a, a, a little bit of a, you know, a, a fear and a worry really is that, you know, we're preterm, we're really excited. We're really excited by our medium um, in so many different ways, you know, and the, we're interested in everything from yeah Black Panther to Chantal Ackerman and every, all the spaces in between, um, and we're trying to build an experience for students that kind of captures our positivity. And uh, but the worry is obviously that that goes that, that we, we don't we don't pull it off, you know, and that there there are kind of unforeseen challenges that are going to make it pretty difficult. And it's not it's not going to translate, or we're not going to be able to kind of to reach across as we might in a room in a different way. And you know, I think that, mm. but it's 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 a one of those weird times it's very exciting you know i think we're all thinking about what the possibilities are um but because we've been doing it for a long time there's also part of me thinks you know how how is that going to play out with the student body but also am i going to be able to do it you know most of my issues since coming back in the last two weeks have been all the things i've been asked to do in terms of developing innovative engaging dynamic compassionate <laughs> kind courses you know um and no pressure, I, I, no pressure exactly. there then <laughs> Well, the thing is, I've I've taken that as a challenge, you know, yeah. and I've really tried to design a big module that does as much of that as possible. And then the timetabling say, no, you can't do that. And the assessments say you can't do that, you know, and it's like, it's just... And then they change the technology that you're yeah. meant to be using to exactly. record it. You know, which, which, which just does have an impact, you know, in terms of maintaining that positivity. And I think what I hope, one of the, to go back to what we hope for, is that the students come in and are, are positive and kind of go with us. Because, you know, similar to you, Catherine, I'm definitely going to be open about we're in this together. We're doing this together. We're going to work it all out together because, you know, we're committed to, to making it work. The, the thing I would say, if you, our previous conversation that we recorded, Neil, was we both talked about how excited we were that we were focusing on teaching and that a lot of the, um, what should we call it, periphery <laughs> in our jobs um, had... Um, had to go both out of sheer time, it had to go out the window, and that there was a real joy in focusing entirely on, even though it was absolutely exhausting, um, trying to make it all work, and, and, and against the backdrop that we were as scared as the students were, but, but there was a real joy in focusing back on the thing that we both really, why well, we do, that's what we really love about it, and, and it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's going to be trying to hang on to that, isn't it, with... Yeah. Yeah and not get bogged down by, I mean, we at the beginning of this, I think it's worth saying at the beginning of this, there was a technical problem that we had to resolve. Now there's only four of us and we are patient and we've got 110. So if two of those can't get on or one person has feedback or one person just won't turn their thing off or sends emojis, that, that's very daunting. And that's very gonna be quite hard to stay on track i think and can i ask a question how many of the four of you are any of you planning on doing some face-to-face -face teaching as well as online um well for us because i'm not teaching practice i won't be doing sort of 
week on week, day to day, as it were, if right. that makes sense. Yeah, but I'll be going does, in for, yeah. as a course leader, I'm going in for, for sessions here and there, which are much more right. sort of pastoral or group team building type stuff. Yeah, yeah. Neil, are you? Um, I... oh, Catherine, sorry. Oh, sorry. No, no, go for it. Go for it. I, I am not. Um, we were offered the opportunity to do what's called high flex teaching where you go in and the students that want to be in the room can be in the room and the other students are, I guess it's like video conferencing, they're on a screen somewhere, I don't really know how it would work. And that to me felt actually like the worst of all worlds because I I think I'm going to teach very differently online, I think you have to teach very differently online to how you would teach in the classroom and trying to do two things at once might not work. And I, I also have, you know, some ethical issues I haven't quite falling down on one side or another about it, making students feel somehow that if they're not coming into the classroom, they're not getting the authentic or best experience. Mm. Um, I've, I've had a lot of anxiety about that from the students that I've spoken to, that if they choose not to come into the classroom, are they somehow putting themselves at a disadvantage? Right. right. Are you going in, Neil? No, I'm not, I'm not going in because, you know, we've got a big, my, my, my sort of big third year module is a really complex uh, yeah. module and I kind of oversee it so I just deliver lectures and, and kind of tutorials and so there's no need for me to be in and because of the way the course runs the the, the technical side is what's going to be privileged so the the 25 yeah. percent capacity is all about camera inductions and edit suites and and things like that so the, the facilities team have been working on on that proviso and I've just similar to kind of to to Catherine is like I I don't I don't like the idea of some students not being able to do, to be in the room for whatever reason. Um, and uh, I've got other colleagues who are in a slightly different position in terms of their modules. And I'm just saying, well, I, if I can do it online, I'll do it online. Would yeah. I rather be in the room? Of course, but that's not the world we're in at the moment. And just kind of trying to support other staff as well is, is kind of part of it. And also, you know, I think that I, I wouldn't I didn't find it helpful thinking that I might be on campus when I was trying right. to work this out because yeah. I just wasn't confident that that was going to happen and also as yeah. Catherine said you know blended learning and online learning is very very different it's you know and I was sort of saying that to colleagues the other day you know and goes back to what you were saying Freya when we did this before we were at the kind of the end of something you know it was super, it was supervision and it was kind of project management for students and they were they were in the work they were doing their assessments and it was about getting them over the line and this is now a whole study block at least yeah. start to finish teaching supervision like it's it's a different thing and it has to be conceived differently and i certainly found it easy to just say okay if i'm you know put myself at home and and, and build it so that all the students have the same experience that i'm kind of mm -hmm. in contact with um and i know what i'm doing <laughs> for the next four months because i don't want to be in a position where i've planned it half and half and then in the middle of october they say <laughs> yeah. you're you're at home now you know, I just, I would, yeah. I would absolutely dread that. You know what? What's interesting though is I think it asks just asking the question. It's like Catherine was saying about students. Is it feels like you have to give a defensive answer if you're not going to go in, um, which is I think what you're concerned. No, no, but it does, doesn't it? And yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, I am hoping yeah. to go in, but that's because I'll go insane if I stay in my house. So that's as much for me as in. Again, I at the moment, it's I don't know how. I and mean, I'm only going to go in pretty much like Dario is saying for smaller groups. So that kind of. Um, and we, we've got we've got PPE, we've got big spaces, very ventilated. You know, we've, myself and a colleague are looking at doing that with first years, but it will be, it's not going to be the major teaching at all, which will all be online. 
but but you're right that does it kind of it, i hadn't thought of that that it would that it, that would be an impact on students if they felt that they weren't there that they might be missing out or that it might be seen as less keen um so that's something to really take on board and i've still got students who are shielding and will be shielding of course yeah you know of course um mm. vulnerable health students and it's like yeah. well how are they supposed to feel if you're saying that there's an online component they you know it's problematic definitely yeah i think yeah it's interesting to sort of mine down a little bit on the on that into that area about how the relationship between our teaching and the institution and what it asks us to do and the difficult job let's be honest that the institution have in reacting to the government which you know we can i don't want to go off on one about how difficult and you know it is to fathom what it is the government is actually asking us to do from day to day but i don't know how you guys felt but when the lockdown first occurred it was just like you know total panic what are we going to do but then after a little while i felt that there was a period of time where the university kind of was saying because it couldn't do anything else apart from say look do the best you can and there was a sort of short period of time where there was a bit of freedom and i think some of the some of the students just freaked out by oh you know unless i'm told exactly what to do then you know what i mean what well, i'm going crazy but i felt that some you know a lot of the students and myself was kind of like oh okay i haven't got anybody kind of like saying you've got to fit everything into this template and i think you know trying to sort of deal with the the positive aspects of of what we might be able to do you know with this um, circumstance but then also acknowledging and again I, I realize I'm kind of in a different position to to you guys in terms of having to manage things like childcare and all of those kinds of things and now it seems as well the universities are trying to put back on their imprint of surveillance and controlling what everybody does in a really sort of um, you know top-down kind of way and I think it's really I feel like I want to keep pushing back on you know, this openness and flexibility, but yet at the same time, kind of like feeling like I don't want to be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, burning myself out. Well, we've had a whole thing about um, the extended hours. So apparently the university is going to be open for students um, from early in the morning to the middle of the night. Now I'm being slightly facetious, but certainly very long days. And that we need a good reason for not wanting to teach in the evening or teach yeah, first thing in the morning. Thing. And I think that's totally unacceptable. And I think I agree absolutely with what you're saying there, is that I think maybe it's like we've tasted a bit of freedom. We've had the chance to do it, find ways that do really work well. So to now, and to, for the university to benefit from that, for us all doing a really good job, yeah. to now suddenly try and, um, I'm trying not to be too, <laughs> but, but, but suddenly say, no, this is how it needs to be done. But if there are any complaints, it's your fault is, yeah. Well, it's just everything I think we've been fighting for a long time, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's the real difficulty between trying to teach and trying to teach within the university structure. I think that thing about freedom and flexibility and rules, I'm coming at it from a slight, it's not quite the question that you asked, Dario, but I, I'm thinking about the students, actually, and you saying about them freaking out mm. when you were told, just do the best you can. And it's something that I have really noticed is, and I don't know if it's to do with kind of what sixth form is like at schools now, is that they come in and they do want really clear guidance. I don't know if you've yeah, found the yeah, same thing. Yeah. Like they, 
they don't like it when we say you know you can do what you want to do with the seminars you can have a bit more I think it makes them feel very I'm not speaking generally of course but I think it makes them feel quite adrift and um and groundless and they want us to say you know to get the good grades you have to do a b c d and that's it and and I I've been really hoping that this might open up a chance for those students to not come in expecting us to be their school teachers but to come in as young researchers expecting us to kind of help them and guide them and have conversations with them but not to necessarily dictate to oh them god that'd be amazing um, yeah but that's but, but that is the big shift what, isn't it what they yeah. want well but that's what it, that's what university is it's not the same and i think you know having had one son go through sixth form and the other one just started that that is it's all about that what exactly do you do this is how you do it submit it and then we'll give you the mark that you kind of know you're going to get because we've told you that before and i and that's just that's not how certainly not how filmmaking can work and it's it's not how a university should work is it but the whole point is they need to take responsibility and ownership yeah and also it's not just the grades is it? it's like what do i do to need the grade it's the employability thing it's it's like it what is this going to benefit me you know in the world out there and it's kind of like we're in a period now well well actually if i'm being honest i don't really know because nobody knows what the world is going to be like in a year's years two years time but you know actually what we haven't talked about is phd students and i mean i've whenever anyone says kind of how are you coping it's it's them that i feel really sorry mm. for because they've kind of started off a lot of them doing their phds in one job market and world and expecting teaching to look one way and they're going to come out of it in a very different setup but one of the things that i've said to them is that if you can show how you can adapt to all of this and you can take this in your stride that's you know that's probably the best skill set that you could probably get out of anything is to learn to trust your own judgment and to cope when the world feels like it's falling apart around you hmm. yeah when um when when Freya and I talked to her in the summer, you know, we, we we mentioned that fact that one of the most encouraging things out of the online shift was how many of our students embrace the the uncertainty mm. and the the were flexible and really thought about okay, you know what what can I do to make the best out of this situation? You know it it felt like it took a global pandemic to kind of yeah. make them realise that that's actually that's life. You know, like that what we're asking you to do is is kind of to develop those those skills which we know will benefit you in in your career you know yeah. problem solving and it's not it's not just the students i mean i have to say i had a wobble at the beginning oh, of God the summer yeah. when you know we i think we all had this kind Absolutely. of feeling of the rug being completely pulled out from under us yeah. um so i mean i'm i'm preaching the theory but not necessarily living the practice but, we're, but i think we're allowed to be and i think there is someone i can't remember who it was that said that i think we've all said it but we are in this with them we and i did say that a couple of points yeah. when i got a bit there was a couple of students who kept complaining and i was a bit like you do realize this that we're doing this as well that that we're not actually being um, trying to cause you problems here. There is a pandemic, and the reason that you can't yeah. use kit is because there is a pandemic, and not because we're trying to stop you. And it wasn't; it was the minority, but but it was a bit like reminding them of that. And um, I think people can get terribly caught up in their the importance of their world, which I guess is what you're allowed to do when you're a student. I mean, I, one of the main focuses of T at three was getting professionals to say, "So, what are you doing now?" There's a lockdown. That's why it started. 
and and then so what do you think your main skills are and it was all of that it was all of those things well I'm going to use this time for that well I'm going to research that well I'm going to think about this as opposed to I'm just going to sit here and, and wail on the sofa while I watch daytime tv which which none of them said and and I think the other really interesting thing is I don't know if you've heard this but but anxiety levels in our the year group that we're teaching have gone down as a result of the pandemic not up and that in itself is a really interesting because obviously all of us I would have thought are dealing with um, a huge amount of um, extensive pastoral care and and so to hear that our, the, the, the students that we're working with stress levels or anxiety levels have been reduced because of the pandemic is, is quite a surprising fact is that yeah. it's a fact what, yeah what was the re- what was the sort of reasoning though beyond the pandemic and so was it just because they weren't feeling the pressure as much or That's, they were i think it was because it became very clear that what they could it's going back to what catherine said which is there was a clarity a clarity right. which was they couldn't go in they had to just do this we gave them we were very open in what they were doing with their projects but we gave them a you need to do this this and and it a lot of them it just meant they didn't because obviously all of our students have to work in teams which is of course is the biggest grief <laughs> and joy but grief primarily um and so they they were kind of left to kind of um uh, resource themselves and it was amazing how many that, that just found that a really great way of um managing yeah. they found it simple i guess the simplicity the whole world was in crisis, but actually in terms of what they had to then do, it became much simpler. Yeah, it's interesting because there's a sort of, there's a tension, isn't there, in terms of that idea of of how resilient students actually are. And again, I don't think it's, you can put it down to education. It's everything, isn't it? It's sort of uh, the way that the world is really in, in, in broader terms. And I, I don't know whether, a, a, you know, it's very difficult. I, I mean, anecdotally, I would say that, that students are, less resilient than than they used to be but again you know what I mean it's very difficult to sort of then turn around and sort of say you need to be more resilient you know how do you do that yeah. and that we're always dealing with with um you know mental health issues and I think that you know I, I don't one of the things I'm really worried about is what happens when you know all these students move to a different area of the oh, country God. and then yeah. lockdowns start getting imposed and they're stuck in halls for for three months I, I just think this is something that hasn't been thought through very much it's terribly worrying i agree but i think it sort of comes back to what freya was freya and neil were saying as well about being able to focus on teaching i think i have a very similar feeling which is you know I, the, the pandemic happened all of the conferences that i was going to speak at this year got cancelled i put my research to one side so that i could just get through you know the homeschooling and and preparing for this term and in a way it's been a lot easier because i haven't had 87 different balls in the air I've just had two or three and there is a kind of relief that comes with that I think yeah Neil one thing I did want to pick up on is this idea of of kind of resilience um and going back to what Catherine said earlier about thinking about thinking about teaching from a place of compassion and kindness you know I've become increasingly kind of angry and resistant to the this the whole culture of resilience particularly kind of in the neoliberal university which is you need to be resilient you know it's like this is a shit show and you just have to deal with it Take so it. kind of you know and i just i find that a really problematic kind of thinking well, actually you know there there are other ways of of there are other ways of doing it that are not necessarily you know what the university kind of puts into practice um as a sector not not as an institution but as a kind of sector but you know what the 
one of the the, the great the, one of the, the positive things has been the ability to even stressed and busy and kind of dealing with all the kind of the new new way of doing things is the opportunity to to rethink how how we do things and, and why we do things and you know i've definitely kind of made it a mission thing actually that i want to do things in a certain way you know so the design of the course is trying to think about the, those students in those positions which are you know um and then and then fight those battles you know which are you know I've, i'm designing my week in lots of small chunks so that there's always an opportunity for the students to drop by for informal chats that are themed Great. if they can't go to everything it doesn't matter but there should be somewhere in the timetable where they can do that once you know be it about you know and then of course when i get the timetable back they're grouped within eight hours across yeah. two days and it's like well that's you're not thinking about the students you know or, you're so then us, i'm going back and saying us, actually well us or, but, or teaching. but I, I know but yeah. but just it's like you can't say that you're driven by student experience and then not deliver on the basics which is you you know you have to think about the students and if the students are shielding or in a house where you know there's a thing you know some of the students are in a house with four or five siblings all studying some of them you know parents both working from home young mm -hmm. children in the you know like there's so many factors that have to be considered and that's what i'm doing with my teachers is i'm thinking okay what does this look like for me and the students that is from a place of trying to retain the values of you know conversation engagement not just assessment and one of the great things is that before when i was teaching my my contact time with students that wasn't tutorials was a lecture about assessment and i delivered the content in half an hour and then basically spend the next hour going over the, the questions would be about the content which i've just delivered you know they want the assurances they want all that and now i'm just going to put all that in a 20 minute lecture and put it online yeah. and have themed conversations where we can still ask they can still ask those questions but we can approach it from a different way you know we're not just going over assessment you know and i can i'm talking about these films and these texts mm. and how they can feed into the assessment but it does feel like an opportunity to 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 kind of stop some of the problems that we definitely faced in terms of that that anxiety that they come in with but then they just heap on themselves through thinking that they have to get an assessment which does a certain thing and it's been really challenging to to embrace that and do that because it's an uphill battle in terms of what we're really expected to do not what we're told the kind of the headline news is but what we're really expected to deliver and you know i i'm just not i'm not in it for that and you know i'm not going to take resilience training to to deal with it i'm going to I'm going to think about it as a human being. So I think that's a really great place to leave it. I just want to say thanks so much to Freya and to Catherine and to Neil, of course. Thanks so much for your time and for, you know, talking about all of these issues that we're, we're all going to face in the, in, in the coming weeks and months. I found it really useful. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you both. And maybe we should do a kind of reflection because I think what Catherine said at the start about being responsive to it, I'm really interested to see what happens with with this um and kind of maybe touching base down the we line should check in halfway through term yeah that's a great idea i think just hearing hearing other people and and proper properly discuss what we're trying to manage is just absolutely invaluable sharing it's that communication isn't it at the end of the day well, it is, it's a reminder because it does all feel quite atomized and you can spend your whole time in your living room not seeing your colleagues and feel like you're the only one that's going through it and just having these conversations reminds me that you know there are other people in the same situation we're all in the same situation absolutely it's a date <laughs> <laughs>
So lots of stuff covered there, but actually I felt like we, we were just sort of scratching the surface. You know, there was a sort of sense of there's so many directions here that, that need to be sort of unpicked and, and unpacked. Um, and they, they have both agreed to come back on hopefully in the future and, uh, and have a sort of catch up around these subjects. Maybe at the end, towards the end of term, we can find out how things have, have gone. Um, how did you feel about that, Neil? Yeah, I think that's, um, that's true. Sort of listening back, it's kind of so much of it is unknowable, you know, mm. um, it felt really important, as I sort of said, to, to kind of to share in the, the unknown you know um that we're kind of all embarking on and to, to again so if there's any students listening to, to to kind of let them know that we we take this stuff very seriously we're thinking about it but ultimately none of us really know how it's gonna how it's gonna go um so yeah if you're listening to this in six months uh, hopefully it's gone well um and uh, hopefully yeah kind of Catherine and freya will will want to come back on in a few weeks and they haven't been absolutely ruined by the experience um <laughs> so yeah we look forward to kind of touching uh, sort of catching up with them as as we all kind of go through it. Yeah, and if you are a, a lecturer or a teacher or a student out there and you do listen to the podcast and you want to chime in on this particular subject, we'd really love to hear about this. I mean, again, send us an email if you've had a particular experience or there are particular concerns that you think we didn't raise, then that would really be helpful because, again, you know, we, we've only got our experiences, the four of us, uh, to 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 work with so hearing stories of and um, experiences that people have had and particularly in terms of what 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 we think film studies is going forward as a you know a group of people who are interested in cinema I think is is really important so getting in, getting some uh, input on that some feedback on that would be really good Neil do you want to trail our next episode yeah so uh, next up we have an episode on Nicholas Rogue's Walkabout. And uh, earlier in the summer, I was uh, yeah kind of lucky enough to talk to uh, Luke Rogue about a beautiful new uh, sort of reissue of the film. And I also spent time talking to the film critic Andrew Pierce, who some of you may have heard on the podcast before, for a kind of Australian perspective on the Nicholas Rogue's classic. So we're going to be getting into that and a little bit of a little bit of Rogue, a little bit of Australian cinema on the next episode. So hopefully. You, uh, you'll be back to listen for that. So that is the Cinematologist podcast. Yes, you can contact us as usual on the social media channels, Twitter and Facebook, of course, or email us at cinematologist at gmail.com. And please pop over to the Patreon page if you have the means and want to get access to our bonus content, including our monthly newsletter for the very reasonable price of $2.50 a month. Always a pleasure, Neil. Always a pleasure, buddy. Uh, good luck uh, with your teaching this term. I'm into welcome week in the coming week, and then it will be into term proper. So we'll see how it goes. That will do it. Thanks very much for listening. This has been the Cinematologist Podcast. <laughs>